Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 647 of the podcast and it is Friday the 30th of September 2022 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Georgina Cross about her different experiences of traditional publishing, firstly with a digital first imprint and also with a big publisher. She talks about the pros and cons of each, as well as thoughts on how money and control differ from the choice to go indie. So at points in the interview, you might be thinking that everything is amazing with a traditional publisher, but by the end, you get a more balanced view. So that is coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, it is rare that I talk about hardware, but there are two new e-reader devices this week. First of all, the Kobo Clara 2E, a more eco-conscious e-reader made with ocean-bound and recycled plastic, upgraded touchscreen, more storage, Bluetooth, and it's waterproof. And also Amazon launched the Kindle Scribe, the first Kindle for reading and writing, which comes with a stylus so you can handwrite notes and uh, that is really interesting. So I think this is fascinating because a few years back, people were saying, oh, e-readers are going to disappear. People will only use their phones to read e-books and uh, other devices, other sort of um, tablet devices. But these companies keep investing in more specific e-reading devices. So clearly there is a market. Now, I think the scribe is particularly interesting as my husband had a few, well, probably a year or so, I don't you know, time flies, but he bought a better iPad in order to annotate into Kindle and uh, and you know on on the on a device essentially and this product directly addresses that requirement at a lower price now as a non-fiction author and as someone who takes a lot of notes on non-fiction I think this is something I might be interested in myself and of course many readers do take notes in our books they might highlight things I highlight things and this is a I think this is a really good development it's good that these companies are still investing in more products and it's good that readers have more ways to um, I guess use our books in in different ways I think this also many of us have talked about this before but e-book versions of workbooks definitely become more attractive and I know quite a lot of people who do ebook versions of um, sorry yeah ebook versions of workbooks and in a way it doesn't make any sense because for me if I get a workbook I want to write in it by hand but if you can write in it by hand on this device that's interesting so another thing for the list <laughs> including my list is ebook workbooks to take advantage of this type of thing. 
And following on from the announcements of audiobooks on Spotify, and thanks for all of you who told me that my audiobooks are on Spotify in the US, because of course it's not available anywhere else. Uh, but Findaway Voices now allows you to do audiobook promotional pricing for Spotify, as well as for Chirp, Apple Books and Barnes & Noble Audio. So I immediately went in and scheduled some promotions, as I presume in the USA, Spotify listeners are getting promotional stuff coming through. And I I want to take advantage of those algorithms. So if you use Spotify and you want some of my audiobooks, they are on promotional pricing for the month of October from the 3rd of October so as this goes out. So um, yes, of course, I want to sell more audio direct and sell on the other platforms where all my audio, well, not all my audio is wide yet, but it's in the process, all of it of going wide. But when something new happens like this, jumping in early is often a good idea. And I love Spotify as a user, I can definitely see myself switching to using it for audiobooks once it launches in the UK. And remember, as I've said many times, in my mind, the subscription models and uh, what I think will be promotional pricing through Spotify, even though they do have an a la carte model, so you can you will be able to buy full price audio. I think a lot of people are going to do promotional stuff. Um, these models are more about marketing and attracting more readers and listeners into our ecosystem. So if you are listening to this podcast on Spotify, hopefully you might also click over and have a look at the audiobooks by Joanna Penn or JF Penn, because I do narrate some of my uh, fiction short stories and obviously got fiction audiobooks. So yeah, bringing more people into our ecosystem, however that may be, uh, over time means that some of them will go through and buy the more premium priced products, may buy print books. And in fact, to me, nonfiction audio absolutely sells other formats. So as a reader of nonfiction and a listener to nonfiction, I often buy the hardback editions of books that I like or paperback because I want to have a copy to re remember whatever I was listening to. So yeah, there are many business models as an indie author. Remember this and don't get sucked into the negativity around Spotify. The reason people are negative is because they are only looking at it from the revenue per, you know, looking at um, musicians who say, well, my royalties on Spotify are tiny, tiny. Well, that to me isn't the business model. The business model, you have to have a different business model these days. <laughs> it is not all about just how much revenue you get per platform. It's how much you can gain from your whole ecosystem. So I am super excited about this. But yes, business models around subscription programs and sites that specialize in subscription, even if it's a la carte, it's about the marketing, not just the money from that individual thing. Of course, you have to have an ecosystem. So if you are just starting out, don't worry, it will take time. As I've said many times, I've been doing this for since, well, full time since 2011. But before that, you know, a few more years before that. So it takes time to build. But if you keep writing and hey, what else do you want to be doing? <laughs> you will be able to do it. Also exciting. I mean, there are so many opportunities right now. And I, I feel like... You know, I always feel excited about all these things, but the opportunities are amazing for creators. And in another example, YouTube has recently announced YouTube learning. So they say from next year. So I guess from 2023, qualified creators, so it won't be everyone, but, you know, again, it, 
These things tend to start out in one place. Again, this starts out in the USA, like Spotify, but then they get rolled out. But anyway, qualified creators can begin offering free or paid courses to provide in-depth structured learning experiences for viewers. And this is from the uh, YouTube blog. Viewers can choose to buy a course, can watch the video ad-free and play it in the background. Courses will arrive first in the United States and South Korea in beta before moving to more countries. So I find this interesting because my husband is a YouTube user, as in it is his primary search engine, and he will spend hours researching on YouTube, watching videos and tutorials. And I've Personally, I've had a YouTube channel since 2008. You might be listening to this on my YouTube channel. And most of my podcast episodes are now audio only, but I do have tutorial videos. And of course, I do have video courses on Teachable at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. And in fact, that includes turn what you know into an online course if you'd like to create a course. But given the audience size that YouTube has, this to me is similar to the Spotify model in which... I would want to have more aspects of my courses on YouTube with a sort of that sort of freemium model where people can go forward and buy courses within the YouTube ecosystem. And of course, YouTube is owned by Google and Google have this week made some changes around mobile search. Now, if you use the Google app on your phone, which I do, you will have noticed some changes this week. So one of the things is shopping, shopping within uh, pictures is really interesting to me because I often will use my phone. I use my phone to take pictures of all kinds of things for, you know, putting on Instagram, but also just things I want to remember because I then I review my photos. So I do take screenshots from Instagram, for example, of things I want to look at later, often books. Uh, I will take screenshots of Twitter on book recommendations. I will, um, you know, something will come up with a, a list of, let's say, the Financial Times Business Book of the Year is one I often buy from, uh, then I will take a screenshot. And now Google has this search that's new, which says search within your screenshots, search within your photos, and has a shopping, the shopping stuff has come up. Also, they are integrating video and images into the main feed. And uh, the videos have been there for a while, but they're changing the way they're doing it so that people spend more time on the um, search page in a different way. I read one thing that said they want to make it more like TikTok, (laughs) which made me go, oh. But I think basically they want you to scroll through far more than we used to. Whereas it's sort of like, if it's not on page one, then you don't look any further. But now they want to make it more like a feed. So this is fascinating stuff. And don't think that just because there are new things that the old things aren't reinventing themselves. And Google and YouTube, these are big, big players, obviously Amazon. Uh, I love the fact that they're all changing things up and fully intending to make more of this. And this means that content marketing more than ever is becoming better and better. Um, uh, And as, as part of the survey, many people said, uh, why do we, you know, tell us more about how we do marketing without paid ads? most of my business is marketing without paid ads. <laughs> you can do a podcast like this for free, people. And I've built my business on content marketing. So I'm fully intending to take advantage of this. Also, Google has great integration with Shopify for direct sales. Um, so I'm interested in doing a lot more with that. So yeah, opportunities, keep expanding creatives, exciting times indeed. 
So in useful stuff, if you'd like help with your writing and your author business, check out the new Writing Career Toolkit bundle at storybundle.com forward slash writing available for a limited time. This bundle includes ebooks on world building, writing short fiction, 30 day writing challenges because you know what's coming up in November, indie publishing for profit, selling books at live events, story structure, accounting for authors is in there, writing for TV, million dollar outline. Stop worrying, start selling, and the bundle includes my ebook, How to Write a Novel, plus more books. Now, with Story Bundle, if you've never used it, it's a pay what you like deal, and you get the ebooks delivered so you can download them and start reading. So just go to storybundle.com forward slash writing. Brilliant deal for those books. That's storybundle.com forward slash writing for a limited time. Also, check out the latest Ask Ally podcast with me and Orna Ross as we discuss stepping forward to step back, how we both took some time out to consider what we want to do with our creative careers and tips for how you can plan time out and the perspective it can bring when you feel like things have become a grind. And I also want to promote the Ask Ally podcast. So it's just Ask, so A-S-K and then Ally, A-L-L-I, short for the Alliance of Independent Authors. The Ally podcast has different hosts it has a news um that we all do different ones in the month sasha black many of you will listen to the rebel author podcast sasha's there with michael Leron, who's been on the show many of you know michael they answer questions for more basic questions like uh, what about isbns and stuff like that so if you're just starting out then you can find that on the ask ally podcast as well as the news and also they have some other ones i can't remember them <laughs> But definitely if you, because uh, again, in the survey, there were a lot of questions that um, I don't cover 101 stuff on this podcast anymore, but I do answer those questions in my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. I'll answer any questions from patrons. But um, yeah, just wanted to reference that on. I do a monthly show with Orna and we, it's the advanced show over there. So it's not a solo show. It's me in discussion with Orna, but we, we often talk about things and discover things when we talk to each other because we're really good, good friends. Okay, so that's the Ask Ally podcast should be on whatever app you're listening to this on. Also, oh yes, and someone, some people have asked me about my videos. We actually record that in video. So if you go to the Alliance of Independent Authors YouTube channel or it's on the Facebook page, uh, that it's actually a video of me and Honor talking about that. So uh, if you want to see my face talking, (laughs) you can always look on there. Right, in my personal update, well, it has been a bit of a business admin catch-up week. I've I have got all my pictures done for the Camino. So I'll link to it in the show notes. But if you go to my blog on booksandtravel.page forward slash blog, you'll find there's an overview of the Camino to Santiago Portuguese route. And then within that is linked 16 uh, different days. Um, The first one in Porto, then the 14 day walk, and then the last uh, Santiago de Compostela, the cathedral and other things like that. So if you're interested in seeing the pictures, you can go there, books and travel.page forward slash blog um, and links in the show notes. Also, I have, (laughs) I couldn't resist, I downloaded the partial survey. It closes on the 7th of October 2022 and there's a prize draw if you enter. So just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash survey 
A22. Um, but I downloaded it and couldn't resist uh, having a look and it's been super useful. And in fact, already I've taken action. And the in-between episode that just went out on outlining versus discovery writing, which is in the last episode, that's a directly responding to people asking about that and the challenges of writing. And I will also have more coming up on things like marketing, finding time to write, uh, mindset. And I will do some kind of review of the whole survey because I'm finding some really interesting stuff and it's always good to know you're not alone. So thank you if you've done the survey. And if you haven't, please do it. Thecreativepen.com forward slash survey 22. So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. And uh, on the in-between episode for outlining, Catalin Osterlog says, in French, it's not plotter, panzer, but architect and gardener, which I absolutely love. Thank you so much, Catalin, for letting me know that. And Catalin says, I prefer being a gardener. And that's a bit more poetic. That's a, yeah, absolutely. I like discovery writing. I never use the word pants, pantsing, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But yes, uh, especially it's ridiculous when you're British, remember, <laughs> because pants are underwear over here. So yes, I love hearing that architect gardener is what you use in French. So if you are writing in other languages, if you're listening and you your first language is something else or your second language or whatever, uh, what are the other metaphors used in the in the writing sense? I'd love to know. Alan Mack also says, left a comment saying, as a comic creator on the road to self-publishing, I really enjoyed the episode with Barry, which was uh, last week on on comic uh, comic publishing. And he says, uh, I often list, oh, he said, it's important to note that The Walking Dead outsold all other comic titles for a decade and is published by Image, an independent comic publisher. So that's good to know. And also, Alan says he listens while to the show while working and adapting the knowledge to comic making, which I also is brilliant. And I, I mean, I did struggle with the show because this could be about lots of other things other than writing. And I think, you know, a lot of it is related to creative business, regardless of, you know, you might be a visual artist, you might be a musician, things are useful across those different areas. Also, thanks to C. Ruth Taylor, who previous guest on the show says, uh, welcome back, I missed you, which is very sweet. And uh, she said, I like this reflective episode and the thoughts on comparisonitis resonated. Yeah, I feel this is a um, uh, personality thing. You either get comparisonitis or you don't. And if you get it, you can, <laughs> it will never go away. You just can't escape that. <laughs> Right. Remember, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen and remember to send me pictures of where you're listening. I love to see where you are in the world. You can leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's show is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, because however you choose to publish, you need to make your book the best it can be. So I use ProWritingAid multiple times in my editing process, once after the full draft is finished before I print it for hand edits, then again before I send it to my editor. And if it's a short story, then I will use it again before publishing as a final check. It's one of my absolute must-use tools in my writing process. And seriously, things are so much better than when I started out. <laughs> 
as a writer, sort of 2006. So why use software to help you? Why don't you just learn all the rules yourself? Well, we all use tools to improve our process. That's what humans do. And we are also often blind to our repeated writing issues. For example, I still can't learn when a comma is needed in certain situations. And although obviously Pro Writing Aid knows the rules and helps you apply them, you can still choose per uh, as they come up in the document as to whether you want to apply them. It helps with making your writing more active, finding repeated words, and we often do that. Uh, finding words, you could improve sentence structure, grammar and punctuation issues, typos, spacing, and more. It integrates with all the usual word processing tools, and importantly for me and many others, it integrates with Scrivener, which is how I use it. I open ProWritingAid on my computer and then open the Scrivener project and work through each chapter. I learn every time and it has loads of reports to help improve your writing in multiple ways. So won't an editor do all this for you? Well, yes, they can, but I would rather pay my editor to fix the things the software can't. Because as brilliant as ProWritingAid is, it cannot read the manuscript end-to-end as a reader and comment on the bigger issues like character development, inconsistencies, structure, etc. So I use ProWritingAid as my essential editing tool in association with a human editor. So you can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna. That's prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. Thank you so much. And I did my patron only Q&A this week, where, as I said, I answer all the questions that come up around writing, publishing, marketing, business, personal stuff and futurist stuff all answered for patrons. Thanks to new patron Daniel Bishop and to everyone who's been supporting the show for months and years. You're all brilliant and it does mean a lot to me. And you can support the show with a few dollars or pounds or euros or whatever, less than a coffee a month or a couple. If you're feeling generous, you'll get that extra monthly Q&A audio. And often I do promotions to the patrons first and I will be doing live uh, Zoom things as I talked about in my survey and I will put those out to patrons first. So you're going to get first access to anything I do that's live. Right, you can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Georgina Cross is the best-selling author of five suspense thriller novels with Bantam Penguin Random House and Bookature Hachette Publishing. So welcome to the show, Georgina. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's going to be interesting to talk to you today. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. Like a lot of authors that you've interviewed, I always wanted to be a writer as a child. And I was that kid with the desk in her bedroom who would sit there and and write books, even if it was just on notebook paper. And my very first book was Me and My Alien Friend. <laughs> it, it was a masterpiece. I was the illustrator as well. But yeah, it just all through high school, and I've heard other people we've interviewed say the same thing. It was a career path that wasn't guaranteed. I didn't know if I could even publish a book, whether I could even make a career or a living off of, of that. And so going to college, I thought, okay, I'll at least get the degree, broadcast journalism. It's writing 
sort of. And, you know, it's really not. It's shorter sentences, fragments, uh, four-second promos, 30-second other bits and pieces. And to me, it just wasn't satisfying. But a few years back, I thought, okay, it's time to double down. The kids are a little bit older now, and I can at least try to make a go of this. And the goal was, before age 40, I wanted to get published. And I missed my goal. (laughs) It took me until age 41, but that's okay. I I didn't want to give up. And so here I am, several books, several years later. So if your goal was to get published by 40, when did you start writing seriously for publication? About four years before that. And so when I rolled out of TV news, like a lot of us do, we go into marketing communications. And in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I live, we have a lot of airspace and defense. NASA's here, Redstone Arsenal, lots of military. My husband is former army. And so a lot of us will land in in marketing comms, but it wasn't as creative for me as I wanted it to be. And so on the weekends, I would write. And I was basically working seven days a week still am working seven. I'm like you, I'm a workaholic, just like you. And cause we love it, right. We enjoy it. And I just thought I've got just to make a go of this. And it took, you know, we could talk about this, but it took about four years before my agent was able to finally sell my books. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, you said to me before we started recording that you've been listening to this show for years and that you listen to my show with Honor Ross on the Ask Ally podcast. And so you are clearly educated about the indie author business model and all of that side of things. So why did you decide to go the traditional route? Especially, like you said, it took four years. Like I don't have any patience. I've just <laughs> given up by then. So why did you decide to go traditional? I, I've always been, I've always had an entrepreneur mindset. At the age of 21, I started my own nonprofit. I have a separate nonprofit now called Susie's Wish. And I've just admired, especially women in business in particular, I've always admired it. And in my jobs, it was something that I cultivated for myself. I've always wanted to learn. And so I just, I felt as if the more I could learn about the background, the more I could follow people like you, people like Warner Ross, Mark Dawson. I list, I've listened to his podcast for a long time too, but I went the traditional route because when I first started off, I thought, okay, you know, all the books, the blogs you read, it'll suggest getting an agent. And I went that path thinking at least the agent will guide me to tell me if my books are even good enough, if, if what path I could possibly take. And once I connected with my agent, and that was at a conference in Chicago, we did a face-to-face pitch fest. That was it. She said, we will get you published. It'll happen. It took four years. And you're right. A lot of people could have backed off and just said, I'll self-publish. And I did consider it. I mean, truth be told, I, I listened to so many of your shows. I've taken notes. I considered it for quite a while. But my agent really thought, we can sell this. We can finally sell this. And so I had been writing, like I said, on the weekends, and it was tiring. But what happened was I ended up with two full manuscripts. And that's what she turned around. As soon as those were finished, she was able to turn around and sell those. So the first book did not sell, the one that she started pitching it in the beginning. And so we shelved that. And I think, like you said, why did I wait four years? Working full time, there's almost a point where you can have the patience a little bit because that had to be my career. That was at least the guaranteed paycheck. That was what I was using to to raise my two sons with. And the writing at that time was 
bonus. If it happens, it happens. And so I was able to have patience, although I will admit that last year I was approaching 40. So I was missing the goal line, (laughs) but yeah, but it, it finally did happen and we went traditional, but that doesn't mean to say I'm not considering one day being hybrid. And I admire so many of you that do so many of you that are solely indie. And I just want to have all the information that I can have. Mm, It's interesting. So you said before that you went to look for an agent to see if my books are good enough. And this just gets to the heart of why people, I think a lot of the time do go traditional. It's this need for validation. And this is so core and it's very difficult. I've had many conversations with indies in the community. And so what is the equivalent as an indie? And it's book reviews, it's money in the bank, uh, but it, it almost never is anyone in the sort of commercial world telling you that your books are good enough. So I think it's really interesting that that's what you said. So do you feel that that's true now, given that you have five books published? I think by now, I, the confidence for me has definitely been bolstered. I think if if Rachel, my agent, if she had not, that first book she didn't sell, if, if the others hadn't sold either, there would be a part of me deep down that's, okay, I'll just stick with the marketing day job. I'll continue to work in aerospace and defense. I ended up working at the Chamber of Commerce too. And the writing will just be a fun hobby. And I think for a lot of authors who self-pub, the validation, it is like, let me get it out there. I want to be my own boss. And I absolutely admire all of that. And I think the validation comes with the sales, like you said, with reviews, with people following, people buying the books, and then you keep on going. For me, I just, I was so new to the game. I really didn't know any authors. There aren't many of us here in Huntsville. And in fact, actually, then I find out one of the biggest legal thriller authors is my neighbor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's just down the street, but I had no idea. And yeah, I needed that confidence boost. But I admit to that very much so that I needed that outside validation. But I think knowing now, like you said, with the five books, I do feel as if I could maybe one day publish, especially some of the manuscripts that are lingering on a hard drive somewhere that maybe I could do this on my own and see where that takes me. (laughs) Which I love because you're kind of implying that that's the harder route. Going indie and running it all yourself is a harder route, but many people obviously struggle to get into traditional publishing. So I love your attitude there. I think it's brilliant. But let's get into the publishers because we're going to talk about how different publishers are different. And this is so important because people will hear, oh, so-and-so got this book deal and they might know a broad thing about it, but generally you don't necessarily know the imprint. You don't necessarily even know what publisher it is. So people just think all deals are the same type of deals, all publishers are the same. So tell us about how Bookature and Bantam um, are different. First of all, let's start with the acquisition process. So how was it different in that way? Okay. So something that I would love more people to know, and I think the word is getting out there with Bookature, you do not need an agent to submit to them. You can submit online. It's quite an easy process. I do have an agent like we talked about. Um, and Bookature, you know, as we discussed right before the show, they wanted to start branching out to other countries. Several years ago, they made a real big push to ha- sign on more U.S. authors. And that's what got my agent's attention. And they're an ebook publisher. They're very focused on digital And so with them, they want to sign you for a two to three book deal, which is amazing. I don't know if they ever have signed anybody for a one book deal. And 
because they do that, it's the fast turnaround with them being a digital publisher. When you submit that manuscript, it is six months later that everything is done, published, digital arcs are sent out. And it's a churn. And then within the next six months, the other book is published. And if you've got a three book a deal for the year, these authors are constantly writing. Um, so they're fast. They're very quick, very agile, smaller group based in England. A lot of them are working remote, obviously, with COVID too. But but then with Penguin Random House, you know, they're Penguin Random House. They're enormous. They have a name, but they're slower, right? It, that's what happens with any large publishing house. And I think traditional in particular, as a whole, they tend to be slower. They're going to sign you for one book deal, maybe a two book deal. But when they announce your publication date, it is a year later because they have lined up all of their other authors and their entire marketing plans. And you just have to get in the back of the line. That can be good in one way because you do have time to really reflect and dig deep and write better prose. Um, months and months of structural edits, like three or four versions of it. But uh, the book tour, they are fast and they get your book out there, which is really cool for a lot of authors if, if that's the kind of pace that you enjoy. Mm. Well, it's, but it's interesting though, because Bookature was a startup. They were a small company and then they got bought or sold, <laughs> sold to Hachette. And Hachette is one of the big five or what is now what the big four or three. And so you mentioned there, interesting that, that PRH is slower and they have these sort of much longer things. But I would say that's more about the imprint because Bookature is, of course, now an imprint of Hachette. So I think, is that is it more that Bantam out of PRH is, is a sort of longer established traditional brand of imprint? Yes. And with Bookature being sold to Hachette, Yes, they are with one of the big publishers now, but they, to me and to a lot of the authors in the group, they feel still very independent. It still feels like this boutique group and they have their own timelines and they operate on their own. And it's very small senior management. I mean, I don't live in England and most of them are are in England, but I feel as if I know most of them. It's very easy to reach out to them with Penguin Random House. And I was able to visit the office in New York several weeks ago and met with my editor there are so many imprints there and they're all in these huge offices and there's Bantam and Ballantyne and Dutton and you go on and on and on. And so they're all working these different book schedules. And I think that's why it, it takes so much longer. Like I said, we are basically put into a schedule behind everyone else that they have signed maybe one to two years prior. Mm. And so you just have to have more of the patience. Book tour is just agile. They're really agile. And it's it's been interesting. It's been really interesting to be between two publishers. I don't recommend it for everyone. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that would want this pace. I did. So tell us why. Like, why wouldn't you recommend that for some people? You know, it can, you have two editors. So you have two bosses. You have two different timelines. With Book a Tour, I'm signed with them for two book deals. And I signed again with them for another two book deal. So those schedules will overlap on top of my deals with Penguin Random House. It is a wonderful situation for me to be in, particularly after four years of the first book not selling, grinding with the other manuscripts, finally selling the other books. It's a dream come true, but it can be for some people, I think, an overload. And for example, this week, I'm finishing edits for a book for Penguin Random House while also having to proofread the next book with Book a Tour. 
and to get your mind from, and you, you do a lot of projects simultaneously too, but I, I know that you do a lot of time blocking these weeks, you're nonfiction these weeks, it's another project, but to get my mind into one story and then pull it out into a completely different story. And we had to update the contracts. I think it was last year where basically Penguin Random House said very kindly, but the marketing efforts we want to put behind you, we don't want it to compete with the marketing efforts that Book Tour is doing. And that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so we updated the contracts that from now on, my Book Tour books cannot be published unless it's four months before Penguin or four months after. And that gives room for them to do the marketing for both publishers to push me and see the results and not it be intertwined or mixed, right? I wonder how on earth they can control that. I mean, Bantam doesn't control Bookature. No. They can do whatever the hell they like at the end of the day. I guess you'll be in breach of contract, but Bookature wouldn't be. (laughs) Right. And, And hence the reason why agents, and I love my agent, she really had to go to bat for me for this because understandably so. And like you just said, Bookature wasn't very pleased. With some of I the imagine. <laughs> right. And especially because they want at least two books a year from me. And there are other authors, some of them, they're signing five book deals. And these authors are, are doing really, really well. But I, I want to stick with the two publishers for now, just until the money's a little more steady. My career is getting to a very nice spot. I'm happy, but I'm not completely, I don't know when I'll feel completely settled. But for now, I'll stick with the two and just continue with the working grind seven days a week. And, but yeah, with Book a Tour, it was okay. They said, they suggested, how about with us, you focus on domestic suspense. That's how we've branded you. And I know you've talked about this before. In fact, the person you interviewed, it came out yesterday, was saying how, um, yes, publishers will tend to like corner yeah, us. Yeah, Tess, right? Gen- Tess Garretson, yeah. Yes, yes. And when I heard her say that, I was like, absolutely, that's what they do. So with Bogotora, I'll be domestic suspense focused. They want small neighborhood, family drama, shorter, 75, 85, 90,000 words. And something that's fun is we agreed to make all of my settings be in the South. And that will differentiate my books from other Bogotora authors, especially And so a lot of the neighbors and and areas around here are really having fun with it because it's drama and crime in in small Southern towns. But with Penguin Random House, the agreement was, okay, the four-month parameter on either side, longer manuscripts, much bigger settings, and I can go full creepy. I can really push the envelope with them, and I'm allowed to have curse words with them. Uh, so it's so interesting because both of these things are very prescriptive. Yeah. So you're so we have a lot of discussion in the indie community about writing to market, and that means studying what readers like and studying the charts and things like that. But what you're talking about is essentially writing to the market that the publisher is telling you to write. Yes, and. Yes and no. So in the beginning, the books that were sold to Bookator, they were very domestic suspense. And with me starting off new, not knowing, you, when you start off, like you don't really understand what you're writing. You just write what you love. And I know that you have so many different ideas. You're always writing what you love. So to me, the idea that it was domestic suspense, I didn't even consider it until, yes, they said, by the way, your stuff is domestic suspense. 
And could you keep going that way? We love it. It's been doing really well. And in the background, I had been writing this other manuscript called Nanny Needed, big New York City setting, much creepier, very dark and, and different from my other stuff. And as soon as my agent saw that manuscript, the idea was we need to pitch this to someone else. In fact, Bookator turned it down and they, because it didn't fit the domestic suspense that I had been writing. So yeah, up until that point, I was writing just what I love and enjoy. And I still feel that I do that way, but because of the parameters set in the contract, you're right. I'm a little bit more prescriptive in my approach because it's been asked of me, but it also has, if I'm going to continue to be with the two publishers, it has also given me some guidelines, right? Mm. And in my head, it allows me to write separately with my editors in mind. Mm. So I guess you've mentioned that Bookature is, of course, UK-based, but they're moving into the US. So how has it been for you as a US author to have a team in the UK? And have you felt that your books have reached a US audience as well? They're very international. The way I see Bookature is the sales that I've experience with them tend to be very international, but they've been around for a while and especially now being under Hachette. So getting European, Asian readership sales in those areas has been super cool where I, with traditional pubs, they will sell out my rights to, to another country. So my books were, especially Nanny Needed, that was very much focused in the U S and I I could feel that immediately from the get-go, lots of Facebook advertising, all kinds of Instagram advertising, but it it still felt very US based. And that made sense because then they sold my UK Commonwealth rights to Avon. And so that was very interesting for me because we'd already launched Nanny Needed. And then I'm jumping on calls with a publicity team in the UK with Avon, and they want to do completely different stuff and they'll have a completely different cover. And so I've been learning this as I go. And so once that book came out six months later, it was like launching that book all over again in a completely different market. But we've sold rights in other countries too. And there hasn't been as much of a publicity push. It's just been the word of mouth of bloggers on Instagram. Like who knew Poland? I need to visit Poland because huge market. Poland. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I had no idea. And they are just reader lovers. And it's been really amazing to see. And so yeah, I, th- I think with Booker Tour, they wanted to get more U.S. authors. They've got quite a few of us in the stable now. But in terms of, there are times where I feel we are separate. You know, they had their yearly summer party and it's in England. And it makes sense. Most of their authors are in England, UK area, along with their staff. So a lot of us in the U.S., unless we can afford it, and then COVID shut down a bunch of things, we're not going to be able to go. So that kind of hurts. But Bookator has this lovely author's lounge on Facebook and it's been amazing. I, I, I've talked to so many authors and they don't have that with their other publishers. And it's again, that smaller feeling, right? Even though there's hundreds of us in there where we're able to ask questions and no one from the senior edit team can be a part of that group except for the two publicists. And they're pretty good. They'll come in and correct us every once in a while or let us vent or ask questions and they might point us to to the right person, but it's been a really cool community. So I feel like even though we're all over the world, we've been able to, to connect that way. Mm. So let's talk about marketing then, because one of the reasons that many 
people want to go traditional is that they feel like they don't have to do the marketing that indie authors have to do. So what's the marketing been like with each of the publishers? Okay. It's been a big difference. Penguin Random House, much larger marketing team. The calls, there are two publicists, the lead, the editors on there, very much create a marketing plan that's catered specifically to each book, to each author. So you don't see a cookie cutter approach. We were able to do really fun promo ideas because with Nanny Needed, with it being a Nanny Needed want ad, they were able to have a lot of fun with ads and and pulling it out of the book and listing the street address. And then there were promos because one of the characters, Chanel number five is mentioned a lot. There's a lot of sensory things. There's some ghostly feelings to the book and they were able to have fun with that. And we ran a bunch of promos. They also hooked up with retailers that I would have never, you know, I'm sitting in the background, just plunking away at my next manuscript. And they'll tell me we signed a deal with Brooklinen, which you probably don't know in the UK, but they're here in Brooklyn, New York. And they launched a package because my book came out in the fall. So it was October timeframe. And it was just a really fun promo package. Their latest bed sheets, a candle, a satin eye mask, and a book to read at night. And it was my book. And people were receiving it, editors. It's that kind of really fun, creative marketing that I would have never thought to do or would have been able to afford to do. Hmm. That's been really exciting to see. Now with Booker Tour, they will organize the blog tour for each author. The promos, we all tend to have the same style of promo. So it, it's not catered to each book. We're all very much the same. And it's nice in a way because I think there could be well, this person was able to have this opposed to this other person. There would be discrepancy. We're all very much promoted the same way, but the graphics tend to look very similar. So it's highly recognizable. If, if a reader sees it, they know absolutely it's a book of tour book. And they have this insanely loyal group. I didn't realize this, but with their email list, people there are people who will only read book of tour books. And I, especially because of the price point, that's where... Bocator really hit the mark. And we talked briefly before the show, but the gentleman who founded it, he was with a large publisher and he pulled out. He saw the writing on the wall several years ago about ebooks, right? Which is a lot of what you've talked about for years and the accessibility of the e-readership. But he wanted there to also be the print on demand option. And we're seeing that more and more with paperback that people really do love their ebooks and that they also will want to have paperback. But he was able to do the math, come up with a really low price point. So when our books come out with Bookator, these readers will just gobble them up because they're so much more affordable. And they're reading also two or three books a week. So Mm. that's been really... Everything you've said so far has been they are doing the marketing. So have you not not had to do any marketing? I have, but I, I will admit to you, I probably don't do as much marketing as I should because... I'm writing the next book and then killing myself to write the next book. The benefit that I've had being in a smaller town of Alabama or local outreach is kind of fun in that way, especially because the Book of Tour books are based in the South. So we've had a lot of local support, which has been neat, a lot of word of mouth book clubs. But no, I have not paid a single dime for an ad. I've considered it. I've thought about it. I haven't done it. I just sat back and watched But it's been a lot of Instagram lives and interviews and those I'll schedule myself. But every once in a while, yeah, the publicist will reach out, which has been helpful. They'll reach out and say, 
Zibby Owens has a spot. Would you like to be on her show? It's been pretty cool. But no, I mean, compared to some other author friends of mine, the most I've spent is, is shipping. I'll do, you know, I'll run a contest and a signed book and I'll send the book out or I'll do a separate blog tour. Cause here's the other difference too. book a tour. They're getting better. But I noticed with my first two books, a lot of the bloggers are understandably UK based or European based Poland, like we just discussed. And so we have connected with someone here in the US, but I shared that list with the publicist with Book of Tour, just because I wanted to be helpful and say, here are so many bloggers here in the US too. And so tap into them for, for future American authors. Mm. Yeah, of course, marketing is not just money, it's time. So right. all, all the time you spent, I mean, most traditionally published authors, like even Tess Gerritsen, we mentioned before, talked about how much she has to do even as a really super famous <laughs> author and it's all time based it's not money based yes yeah and that and there's the conundrum right and she made the comment to you about i wish that authors could do what, what they used to do which was yeah. just right <laughs> just right well that's why i was surprised when you said you weren't really doing anything yeah and and i met with claire mcintosh you had her on your show a few weeks ago and i love claire she and i got to meet at thriller fest in new york I know you've been to the conference before, so that would be super neat if we if we met face-to-face at a future show, but Claire and I sat down and we talked about it and it really, she is a marketing machine. Oh yeah. And I've seen other authors that are just constantly whipping out newsletters and contests, but it takes time away from the writing. And I personally haven't been able to do that. Now, when I slow down, I'm hoping to slow down next year. My oldest kid- I'll see you slowing to- down. <laughs> I, I need to. My husband's like, I thought you were at least going to take Sundays off. No, I haven't. And so the kids are sleeping. So I might as well get up on Sunday and also write. But I would like to start slowing down because I think all of us understand that marketing is this necessary part of our work to get the books out there and to let people know to buy them, to read them, to follow us. But unless you have that hook, unless you can create that that book that just gets the attention of so many and be- sets off on wildfire, a lot of us don't feel satisfied. And so for me, I don't know, it'll be interesting when, if I can slow down and I can start focusing on marketing, we'll see. But next year, I've already told myself, I'm going to take longer to write this next book idea that I have. And that's the one that's going to be with Bantam, Penguin Random House, because I really I want the time to hit it out of the park. I would like to go back to when authors spent a year or more toiling (laughs) because whipping out books like this, it's been great money wise, but I don't think that my writing is to the bar that it could be. Does that make sense? Mm, mm, Absolutely. If people are are considering going this route, any other positives you might have missed and what are the biggest negatives or things to watch out for? Yeah. And I don't want to sit here and say it's everything's always wonderful and perfect. We already talked about it. It would be, it it is interesting to pick which publisher you want to be with, make sure it's the right fit for you. But yeah, I mean, there have been some negatives along the way and it's been something that I've had to learn and author friends of mine who've asked about book a tour. I've been very straight up and honest. I've got a bullet point list of here are all the amazing pros, here are all the amazing cons. Same with Penguin Random House. They could probably supply me with their own pros and cons of being indie, their own pros and cons of being with another publisher, somebody small. But with Bookator, they they don't, as much marketing as they do, they don't request blurbs. In fact, they don't do author blurbs. And 
So it's very much you on your own finding authors. Well, in the beginning, I knew no one. I couldn't have sat down with Claire McIntosh a few weeks ago. Like, and I couldn't have done that in the very beginning, four years ago. There's no way. But uh, so that's been tough. And they don't do paperback arcs because again, digital publisher. So it's been NetGalley widgets, which a lot of readers and authors, they're fine with that. I think they get so many books anyway. They don't mind, but it is nice to have that paperback, right? That we can hand to another author, especially if they're able to post a picture of them holding your book and saying that they're going to write a blurb. Whereas Penguin Random House is very much, who are the authors that you're wanting? Who Here's a list of authors we think are comparable. Here are the big authors we're going to hope to get to write a blurb for your book. And they'll take care of all of that. They've also been really, really good about what kind of cover do I want? Uh, because we have such a long time frame, we can edit and tweak. Book a tour again, they're super fast. I mean, that six month turnaround, it is bam, bam, bam. And it has to, you got to hit those milestones because not only is it my schedule, it's their editor schedule and the line editor, the copy editor, each person, their schedule. There is no wiggle room with the cover. There is no wiggle room with the title. They tell you what the title is going to be. You can tell them you don't like it. And they're like, look, this is what we think will work. And there's not a, there is no time to fiddle with it. And so that's the cover you get and, and that's, you go on with it. So that's been a little tough, especially for anybody wanting to be indie titles and covers are so special and important. It's taken me a lot to just, I guess, accept, right. When I see the cover and go, well, <laughs> even if I had a question, I can't say anything. Luckily, my first two covers, I loved the third cover you know, I, there were a little things I would have wanted to change, but they basically say, trust us. We know this. We've done enough studies. We know what it looks like in the thumbnail, but it's that control aspect that, you know, right now, I think because I'm so inundated with schedules, I am letting some of that stuff go. But as I get more established, it would be super cool. And that's why I listen to you. I listen to Orna. Um, I get Mark Dawson's emails. I would like to... A, I'm interested in what all of you do. I think it's fascinating. I think the more information I can get, the better. But who knows, maybe one day down the line, it would be really interesting to look at my contract and see what I can publish on my own. Maybe get some of my own work out there. Because like you said, most people pick up a book or they open up an ebook. They don't know who the publisher is and they really don't care. They really don't. And if they know Joanna Penn, JF Penn, they're going to buy your book. If they know my name, Georgina Cross, hopefully they'll also pick up my book. <laughs> Absolutely. So for any indie authors or just authors in general who want to get a traditional publishing deal with whatever publishing house, what are your tips for making it? I really do believe that my agent was helpful. And in the beginning, like I've talked about, I really didn't know any better, but my agent having the connections that she had, that was really the entree into some of these bigger publishing houses where she could personally pick up the phone or email them. And that's how we were able to get with Penguin Random House. But I've heard so many authors who do the cold email submission and I applaud that. I did that for a few months in the beginning too, but it wasn't until I met her face to face. And I tell that to so many authors, if you do want to get an agent because of those licensing rights that he or she may be able to obtain for you, it is really helpful if you can afford it and get the time away to go to these conferences and pitch face-to-face. -face. A lot of times you sell yourself along with the book idea. 
And I've joked with Rachel, she wanted to make sure that I was not crazy just as much (laughs) as I wanted to make sure that she was someone I could work with. And you've heard of these pitch sessions. They're only a few minutes long, but it's long enough for you to get a feel. And they need to know, is this someone that can take a lot of criticism? Is this someone who can take a lot of edits? And so it was super helpful to do that. But I was lucky with Rachel. She's at an agency now that they're fairly big. They're in New York City. They have a film agent in-house. So last February is when we got the call that hey, we've got some interested agents for different production companies. We've got actual production companies also calling. We'll keep you in the loop. And they took care of all of it. And again, I was so busy writing the next manuscript that I just said, let me know if it happens. I'm not going to put any hope on it. Just let me know. And my husband took like five minutes to research some of these production companies. And we didn't know their names from Adam. We didn't know if they were good or not. We didn't know if anything was going to get signed. And then a month later, we got an email that Netflix had called. And we said, well, we know at Netflix, (laughs) we recognize that name. And so they went ahead. They bought the rights to my first book, The Stepdaughter. And they bought the licensing rights for Nanny Needed. That was my third book. So one with Bookature and the other book with Penguin Random House. And I mean, that has been just crazy. It's been amazing. And again, I wouldn't have gotten that on my own, right? I would have had to find someone, but this came along with my agency. So it was helpful. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you're very happy with your publishing decisions, which is always nice to hear. I am. I am. But, you know, I would like to one day venture out and to make more money potentially with my books. The one thing I consider all the time is, and I'm sure this comes from my airspace days, lots of spreadsheets where if I make hundred percent of the royalties self-publishing, I do want to factor in my time and the costs for having an editor and a cover designer, and then see what I net. Right now with Bookature, it's a much bigger royalty percentage. It's 45%, which is great, but there's still that cut that goes to them for their overhead, for all the publicity they do. Then there's that other cut for my agent, and then I get the rest, right? And so mm-hmm. by that point, it's, could I have made more money If I were to write a new book on my own or pull out the other ones from my drawer, could I publish those and basically keep all of that, have learned everything I have learned from you guys and take a stab at it myself? I would like to do that. With Bookature, another positive is they pay quarterly. I know with indie authors, the money comes so much faster. So for me- It's funny you say that I just uh, did a thing this morning and the money is already in my bank account. (laughs) Like right within half a day. <laughs> exactly. And so for me going 20 plus years working corporate America, where it was a paycheck every two weeks to all of a sudden not getting paid for months has been, it's been a huge adjustment. A lot of people warned me about that in terms of planning. I, it's just, it's been tough. It's been just waiting and waiting for the money to come in. But with Bookature, thankfully, at least it's quarterly. That's still a long time to wait. But the money has to go to my agent first, and then I have to wait another week before the rest comes to me. Penguin Random House, with the advance that they pay, it's split up into four payments within two years. So some folks that are only writing with a traditional publisher, you better have some savings or you better hold on to that day job because I don't know how a lot of people can afford to write full-time 
and get paid, unless it's a monster advance, but those are quite rare. But to be paid four times over two years, I just don't know how you can live off of that. And, and so it's, it's not even when you know it's going to come either, right? It's like four times and not even on a specific date necessarily. It's not under your control. I guess that's the point. Yes and no. I mean, they'll say the first payment is upon contract signing. And I've heard some horror stories where it's taken months and months, six months maybe to finally sign, even after they've agreed to buy the book. So you're just twiddling your thumbs waiting for that first payment. Mine luckily came within two months. So I was good. The second payment is when the line edits are accepted. This is when they're like, yes, we, right. (laughs) So that is an arbitrary date because that could be eight months from now, three months from now. You just don't know. It's until the editor's like, okay, this is good enough to where I think we will actually publish it after all. Third payment comes when the book finally publishes. Which again is not in your control. Right. So it's, that has been, you know, and to have worked 20 plus years, having that and having the 401k, having all of that uh, set up for me and to all of a sudden now be, I'm a sole entrepreneur. I am doing my own accounting to the best I can. I'm trying to keep up with what I'm doing. But the the pay is just, it's not something that feels steady enough for me. And that's why Indy continues to be an enticing, I hear all these great stories and to be able to get paid within a day. Holy cow. That would yeah. be amazing. Um, it, it is. And it is interesting because you've, so you have mentioned the, that basically the lack of control is the biggest reason that people go indie. And you've mentioned the lack of control over like the cover, the title, the timing, the money. So yeah, so it's so interesting when you weigh everything up, but what you've done, obviously you've learned loads, you've doing really well and you have the choice. I mean, I said the same thing to Claire, even Tess Gerritsen, she said, oh, if I had something that was a bit different, I might go indie. I think that you have the option now, right? You can do that. You can write more books. So you can make the choice with every book. That's what I'm hoping for. And I think a lot of authors, because so many of you've paid the path, you're making a living this way. You're absolutely everything is under your control. You're steering your own ship, so to speak. And I think because a lot of us are watching this and really interested in this, and so many authors are starting to turn that direction. You've talked about this too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there are more and more authors who are already, if not about to start publishing separately, whether it's a romance book under a pen name, whether it's a paranormal book. I know another author friend, she has a pen name for her paranormal stuff. Or I keep my name, I check my contract and make sure, okay, these are the projects I can self-pub and maybe still continue to do one book every two years with a publisher. We'll see. We'll see. Because I like to capitalize on the marketing that they are able to provide for me, but I'm absolutely taking notes, right? I've got all the notes of what they do and the people that they contact and I could absolutely do it myself. Um, interesting well we will see what happens next with you but we're out of time so where can people find you and your books online okay well I am Georgina Cross author pretty much everywhere my website Facebook Instagram I don't do a lot of Twitter I'm really bad about that I should try more but uh yeah my books are sold pretty much everywhere so thank you so much for having me oh no thanks so much for your time that was great So we hope you enjoyed the interview with Georgina about different methods of publishing. And as ever, there are never perfect solutions, only trade-offs. As part of this discussion, I was thinking, oh, I'd love 
someone to organise a Netflix deal and have my marketing done for me. And then I also thought, but I don't want a boss. And there was a moment when Georgina said, I have two bosses. And I was like, (laughs) shiver. Uh, I don't want a boss telling me what to write or what to do and when to do it. I love the control we have as indies. I like how fast the money is and in my control. I love the freedom to create what and when I like. But there are always trade-offs either way. And I'm not saying I wouldn't take a deal depending on what the uh, contract looked like. So yeah, the question for you is, what do you want to achieve? What are you willing to do for what you want to achieve? And what is non-negotiable and what are you willing to give up for that? And we all have to answer these questions and you have to answer them for yourself. So coming up next week, I'm talking to Beth Kempton about The Way of the Fearless Writer. And her books are brilliant. So we'll be focusing more on the mindset side of the writing life. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.